Hello and welcome to another episode of the Successful Home Ownership Show with your host Richard McKenzie out of Cincinnati, Ohio. And our company is First Inspection Services. And on this episode of Home Inspection, the Successful Home Ownership Show, we're going to be talking about safety. And when I say safety, it's important to note that you want to enjoy living in your house. And the last thing you want to have to think about is safety. And a lot of times, if not all the time, we take that for granted and we assume everything is safe. And there's probably not a better time to get a, your arms around the general level of safety that your house and the surroundings provide for you than during the home inspection. And then you'll be able to figure out what things need to be fixed or remediated to make the house safe for you and your guests, your family, etc. So without further ado, let's talk a little bit about safety aspects. So during a home inspection, we generally do the outside first and we want to walk the grounds and take into consideration all the aspects of the outside in terms of safety. So what are some of those things that we're looking for outside that can be not safe that we want to point out? Well, first and foremost, we want to think about items around, for example, your deck, if there's a deck. And if it's above ground, then we want to talk about railings. And there's specific heights of railings. There's how far apart the spindles should be on that deck or that balcony. There's the support for the balcony or the deck and whether it's properly done and whether it's properly done connecting that deck or attaching that deck to the house in the proper way. We're looking for that. We're looking for avoiding what we call the line of death on a balcony or a deck, which is to say those lag bolts or carriage bolts are supposed to be attached in a way that do not use the same grain of wood along the full length of the deck or a majority of it which can cause that way that that deck is attached to the house to split that piece of wood that holds it on there and that's a real problem of course and you've probably seen in the paper or heard on the news about once a year we get one of those stories where somebody has a house party with 30 or 40 or 50 people on the deck and the deck collapses. One of the causes of that a lot of times is that line of death that we call it. So we want to avoid that. And if we see that or other conditions from the deck, whether it be rotted or dangerous uh, boards on top there, which we would call um, the surface boards there that you're walking on, we want to point that out as well. Whether the railing is the correct height or if the If the deck is 18 inches or more off the ground, we certainly want to have a railing to protect you from stepping off of it and breaking your ankle or or worse. And then we also want to make sure that the support posts for the deck are properly installed. Uh, At a house a couple days ago, I noticed two of the 4x4 posts were rotted the last uh, 4 to 6 inches. Those need to be replaced. A lot of times they're termite infested. Even though they're pressure-treated lumber, over time, 
that wood does deteriorate, does break down, and it's no longer integritous to do the job that it was in installed to do. So that needs replaced. Whether the deck is off of a, a slopage of the yard causing some erosion perhaps, is, is, it could cause uh, some of the support of the deck to give, and we've seen We've seen things out of plumb, which means they don't line up with 90 degree angles and, and there's different forces play in play there that are causing the deck to fail slowly over time until that last event that you read in the news. We don't want to read that in the news. We want you to be safe and enjoy your deck. So remember when we put things of this nature in the report to have prior to closing a qualified deck contractor further evaluate and make necessary repairs as needed, we are not telling you to do that after you move in. That is your job to get that second opinion by that qualified contractor with your realtor so you can get that quote and that understanding of what that repair entails so you can either have that done or have it done after you move in, whatever, but you need to have all that information to help you make that informed decision and of course to be safe. Let's talk a little bit not so much about decks but about balconies. And let's pretend we're in a 1915 three-story row house in Cincinnati or some other city and you're on that balcony and you notice at that balcony you're a little weary of walking out through that door on the third floor onto that balcony or second floor and you do, and you notice that the metal railing is like 30 inches or, or maybe 36 inches tall, and it really should be 42 based on new, new regulations and so forth. Uh, and that's going to vary by municipality, and you'll want to check your local municipality uh, regulations for railing heights on decks and balconies. <clears throat> but nonetheless, we know that that's too short and it was acceptable at the time the house was built but it's not acceptable now so that needs to be fixed that needs to be remediated and a general contractor is going to be able to figure out a way to either replace that or extend it in a way that makes it acceptable so that needs to happen let's also pretend that you look to your left you're, you're looking towards you're looking away from the house out into the street for example and you look to your left and there's the electrical supply line coming in and that supply line is right there and you can actually reach your hand out and grab it. You should not be able to grab that uh, safely or unsafely. You shouldn't be able to grab it, period. But if it, but if it is there, you want it to be protected if somebody does inadvertently makes the bad move um, and grabs that. And that being that the should have the protective sheet, uh, sleeve on it which used to be provided by the electrical companies but I believe and I believe I'm right on this that they charge for that now so if you if we do put that in the report and suggest that you check with your local electrical supply company or your supplier of your electric to your house find out what they charge what the procedure is for getting that made safe <coughs> or protected um, so that's very very important and continuing with these outdoor items, some other things that we've seen, and I saw this the other day, if you're at a house that used to have a clothesline out in the yard, there's still some of the, some of the uh, inch and a half or two inch um, rigid metal pipe 
steel pipes sticking out of the yard. Maybe they're only six inches tall, but yeah, that's not just your lawnmower is going to bump into it, but let's think about worse. If somebody trips in the yard, that could cause some serious injury. Other things we've seen sticking out of yards are pieces of rebar. Maybe there used to be a garage and they took the garage down but left some of the pieces of rebar sticking out. Well, goodness gracious, those need to be cut off and, and, and dealt with and you don't want those sticking out. And maybe the uh, fill pipes for a previous oil tank that's underground might be sticking out of your yard near your house usually, right up against the house usually. Um, but these are things that uh, can cause injury if, if left unintended. And by the way, a little caveat, you'll want to check with your local municipality on the regulations around possible underground oil tanks. Those need to be dealt with in a specific way and municipalities or townships or counties, whatever you want to call them, have different regulations on those. Some of them are meant to be filled with sand, some of them there's other elements you put in there that make them inert and and I don't know if others ask you to dig it out, but that's probably the most expensive uh, recourse. But do check with that. And that's something that most of the realtors are used to dealing with too. Not real often, but used to dealing with. And window wells around the house. They should be covered. Why? Because small children can fall into them. Pets can fall into them. I've, I've certainly retrieved a few snakes out of some of them or frogs and other creatures that somehow get trapped in there. I guess they don't see the edge and that's it. I've even actually, well, I've taken a mole out of one one time. Um, but nonetheless, uh, neither here nor there, just little stories from the field. Um, so they need to be covered. Um, so let's talk a little bit more about other items, uh, not outdoors. Well, actually one more outdoors. I will throw this in too. Uh, poison ivy and trees, dead trees specifically. We are not licensed arborists, but more times than not our gut feel can tell us if, if a tree appears to be dead. Harder to tell during the fall, of course, but there are some giveaways on appearance, you know, jagged tree limbs, um, parts of the tree trunk that look like fungus is growing out of a big hole in it, Things like that make it pretty evident that that tree is either on its way out or it's dead altogether. And there's two types of them. One, that if it falls, it's going to hit your house. The second isn't going to hit your house, but you don't want it to fall in your yard anyway because you don't know when it's going to fall. And it could hit somebody or hit a car or whatever or your neighbor's yard. And then that's going to create a heck of an argument. So um, those are things we want to point out and put in the report as well. Uh, the other thing I kind of like to point out too to people, a lot of people can't identify poison ivy or poison oak or sumac and these things if they grow up against your house or in large areas around your yard are going to cause some issues in the future. I had a neighbor one time and she somehow scratched one of the blisters where she had poison ivy and then she touched her eye and it ended up getting behind her eyeball and she almost went blind. Um, that was really scary and extremely hard to deal with and hard to uh, uh, get, that, get that taken care of at the doctor. Eventually, she, it turned out okay. She really did. She didn't lose her vision or anything. Um, but poison ivy can be a real pain in the butt 
and I like to point, uh, point that out when it's there too. And there's ways of getting rid of it. By the way, I have witnessed deer eating poison ivy. The only problem is they don't seem to eat enough of it and make it go away. And of course it comes back every year and they just eat the leaves off of it anyway. Um, so it does come back every year. And there are some products that kill it and others that don't. So you want to do your own research on that. Our job is to point out that you've you know, got it on your house. You don't want vines climbing up your house anyway. Poison ivy vines, are they're probably the least desirable vine to have climbing on your house. Um, so, moving on uh, to other subjects inside the house. Let's talk about electric. Electric is probably the thing that people think of most often when they are considering items of safety that can cause the most injury or death. So, electric. Uh, your outlets next to water sources should be GFCI, Ground Fault Circuit Interrupter Receptacles. There's proper ways to install them, there are improper ways to install them. And uh, when we have older houses, when we see the two-prong outlets next to sinks, a lot of multifamilies houses, like four families or duplexes, for whatever reason, go through the years and the landowner, the property owners or, or landlords don't upgrade a lot of those. And I'm not throwing anybody out of the bus. It's just the most common thing that we see are the 1940s, 50s, and 60s, um, four-family units that have ungrounded outlets at all the sinks, whether it be at the kitchen or the bathrooms. Those need to be upgraded and be made safe. Um, so upgrading those to GFCIs is very acceptable and proper practice. Other less known places would be laundry sinks, um, in the ba basements, those sorts of things near water outlet, near water supplies. I'm going to throw this one in there. I might get in trouble, hopefully not, but sump pumps. Um, Sump pumps are a water source, so electrical code, and we're not code inspectors. I just happen to know that this is like a code. Sump pumps are supposed to have GFCI receptacles next to them, and that's what you're supposed to plug your sump pump into. Does anybody out there, raise your hands, I'm counting hands, raise your hand if you think that that could be a problem in the future if you have a lightning strike near your house and you're on vacation. This is a trick question, of course, uh, a loaded question and a surge runs through your house, trips your GFCI at your sump pump, but you're away for five days, and the battery backup that you paid, you know, $400 for, uh, even burns out and the battery's dead, and you're, you're, we're still getting a whole bunch of rain, and your basin's backing up and all that stuff. That's a problem. Nobody's there to reset the GFCI button that tripped to turn that outlet off. So I'm just going to say at my house, my sump pump is not plugged into a GFCI receptacle. Now, if I go to sell my house, I'll have a licensed electrician replace it with a GFCI you know, for the purposes of selling the house, but I'm absolutely not going to have my sump pump plugged into a GFCI receptacle. That is just not good, an idea. So, uh, that said, um, going back to... Uh, the GFCIs. You want to have those at water sources, of course, as I mentioned. And where we see ungrounded outlets near water sources, that can cause an electrocution hazard. That's not just shocking, but that's electrocution. That's really bad. So those need to be upgraded to grounded and GFCIs. Okay. 
other things we see look under a sink once in a while and there's like an open junction box where somebody did a DIY hooking up their dishwasher or their garbage disposal. Those need to be in junction boxes mounted on the side of the cabinet properly with a cover on them. And they shouldn't have any punch out Romex connector holes uh, sticking out there with where you can stick a finger in or a kid can stick a finger in. Um, and there shouldn't be any punch-out holes or missing covers in basements on junction boxes and attics. The main electrical panel in the basement or garage should not have any uh, punch-out holes where mice can crawl in, you know, bats, whatever, and, and, and people can put their fingers in, especially kids. That's just not good. So those need to be taken care of. I will tell you another story. So a couple days ago, I'm out in the country, in horse country. Wonderful uh, inspection, really enjoyed it. I go up there in the country and I breathe in, you know, as much country air as I can before I come back to the city. Not that Cincinnati's polluted. I, I really like, and I like living in Cincinnati a whole lot. It's a good place to raise a family. My kids turned out okay, so, uh, or more than okay. And I really do love Cincinnati. So. Uh, there's a plug for Cincinnati, and I love the realtors in Cincinnati and the surrounding areas too, so there's a plug for the realtors. If you weren't planning on using a realtor for your home buying transaction, I highly recommend you do. There are things that you do not think about, that they will think about, that they will not leave out. Will They have a duty to provide you the best fiduciary um, service possible, which, uh, which is to look out for your best interest. There are things on the contracts that you will not think about. There is the negotiation process that you do not have a clue how that's going to go, and you need somebody to hold your hand through that, I guarantee it. Uh, so I would highly recommend you use a realtor and don't try to do the DIY thing. Uh, just because it worked well for somebody on TV doesn't mean it's going to work out well for you. Uh, so they're well worth their, uh, their pay and weight in gold, so um, use your realtors. Okay, so moving back on out in the country, in this horse country area, we're out in the pole barn, and in the pole barn is a 125 amp sub panel coming off a 200 amp uh, cutler hammer panel, and the wire feeding the sub panel was routed through a window from another pole barn. Very weird situation, and then it entered into that pole barn and then on the 4x4 post that that electrical panel, sub-panel was mounted, the 4x4 post was charred and there was still the um, material left over from the fire extinguisher, and I'm forgetting the chemical compound. My son is the electrical engineer in the family, excuse me, chemical engineer in the family. I'm not, um, so he would be able to tell me what that is. Uh, but it is a, I'm sure baking soda is somewhere involved in the chemical formula for that fire extinguisher material. But it was left over on the electrical panel, and then the wires that burned above the panel were all wire nutted together. In other words, they reused all that, and those were not in junction boxes, and they reused the panel itself. No, no, and no, you don't do that. Uh, that whole kit and caboodle should have been replaced, period, end of story, um, mic drop, and all that good stuff. You don't do that. That's just unsafe. Uh, plus, there was an, a couple of double-tap breakers in there. 
that um, are can have an overloading situation. So that was just bad all around. So that should be replaced. Um, so we're looking for stuff like that. Um, won't see it too often because that was the first time in all these years inspecting that I've ever seen a panel that had been through a fire still at the place where the fire was and they reused the panel. That's just really, that was kind of awkward. Um, so we're looking for those things too. Uh, let's talk a, a little bit about different subject inside the house and that being plumbing items, specifically gas. People don't think about gas being plumbing, but it is plumbing. Indeed it is. And let's talk about the gas line coming into your water heater or furnace. Uh, sometimes through older houses, it was acceptable at the time to use copper to supply natural gas or propane. And then it was also okay to uh, supply that with galvanized steel. Galvanized steel rusts from the inside out much quicker when it's used for plumbing for water supply than it is for gas. But nonetheless, in most municipalities, uh, if you replace a water heater or furnace, the supply line coming to it must be black iron or the CSST, uh, corrugated stainless steel, which also does require a bond wire. And that's a electrician's term, very specific, very uh, I'm not even going to define that on here, it'll be a little too confusing. But your licensed electrician will know exactly what that is. That's supposed to be bonded uh, to the electrical panel. And um, so that needs to be done. So if we see copper or galvanized steel supplying gas line going into a water heater or furnace, we're going to uh, state that that does need further valuation by the qualified contractor for the furnace and or the water heater um, specifically to make sure that that is still okay or if that needs replaced because maybe the water heater needs replaced also because maybe the water heater is older. Maybe the water heater doesn't work. Maybe it's rusted at the bottom. Maybe the temperature pressure relief valve discharge pipe is leaking. Maybe there's other reasons to believe that that has reached the end of its life in which case the supply gas line coming to it will also need to be replaced. On the water heater, things that we do see that are unsafe might be that it's missing that discharge pipe coming off the temperature pressure relief valve or the material of the connector between the valve and the discharge pipe is the wrong material, which would be plastic in this case, CPVC piping. Um, that's not good enough to hold that on in case of a high pressure discharge. And things that cause the high pressure discharge would be that the pressure inside the water heater um, rose to a level that caused that to discharge and you don't want that case to to happen either. Maybe the water pressure for the house is too high and there's ways that we can measure that. Um, we have also seen wiring connecting in a, an electric water heater where definitely was DIY where you just have a bunch of wire nuts and a, a wire going up into the into the floor joists and there's no pipe for that, there's no junction box, that's just definitely a DIY. Um, the discharge pipe again is supposed to be within six inches of the floor and that needs to either be the CPVC material or it needs to be copper. I don't believe there's any other acceptable pipes for that. So that's something that we definitely look for. <clears throat> Um, and 
I believe that's probably, oh, gas leaks. We are checking for gas leaks. Yes, yes, yes. We are checking for gas leaks for sure uh, at houses. And we also, if I haven't mentioned it, it's real important to follow your inspector around during these things. You are paying us to be your consultant, so you should hear everything that we're, we're saying. And you definitely want to hear that. Um, so all these things are things that we take in consideration. And a reminder that these things are not an exhaustive list. There are many more things that we're looking at. Uh, for example, garage doors. There's reasons that there's two methods of making the garage door self-reverse. We've got the optical sensors. That's important. We also have the downward force uh, where the door, if it hits a 2 by 4 or sometimes we will give it a jolt with our hand, that door should go back up. So then in case of it hitting a child or an adult or a car hood or a pet, it's not going to cause uh, extreme injury or death um, to, that, uh, to that person or animal. So that's very important. If we put in the report that the garage door is too old, to self-reverse or to install optical sensors and even if the door works perfectly and the I mean in the garage door opener and that, like it's one of these that just goes and goes and goes and it's working perfectly well it's our job to point out that it's unsafe so it's unfortunate that sometimes homeowners uh, don't like the negotiation process that, hey, the garage door opener needs to be replaced, or the buyer uh, has to replace that after they move in, um, or, or should, but even though it's working, you do want to be safe. So all of these things we have, again, your best interest in mind in pointing them out, whether it be suggesting window wells, railings, uh, covering holes on junction boxes or electrical panels, digging pipes out of the ground that are sticking up straight. These are things you want to keep your report, you want to read your whole report, you want to use a priority list of making sure that you can sleep well at night knowing that people walking around your house or people inside your house, guests staying with you, are going to be safe when they do it. That way you can do more than focus on just the safety. You can focus on where we're going to put that sectional couch. How are we going to finish the basement? Uh, where are we going to, which bathroom do we want to renovate and put that wonderful stand-up shower with a bench you can sit down on and the great shower head that rains down from straight up above the ceiling? These are all, and oh, don't forget the stainless steel appliances for the kitchen and the granite countertop. We totally understand where the mind is on these things and that's great. But safety first, if you get through the safety, then you can think about the niceties and the uh, bells and whistles for the house and really enjoy living in it and inviting guests over, over to have dinner with you, stay, stay the weekend and all that good stuff. So first things first, be safe. And that's all well and good. So un un until further ado, or without further ado, until next time, this has been Richard McKenzie of the Successful Home Ownership Show, and we really do thank you for listening. Take care.